Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. Welcome back in on a Monday after a day off on Friday. I, I thought I was going to do a podcast on Friday. I decided to take the, the day off to enjoy it with my wife and my young son. So I promised a podcast Friday. I failed to do that. And for that, I apologize. But it's good to be back with you again on a Monday. I hope you all had a happy 4th of July. I know I had a good one myself. I hope you did the same. Shot off a lot of fireworks. I'm a very pro-firework guy. I love fireworks. I love celebrating America, which is still the greatest country in the world. Uh, I love that stuff. However, If on Sunday the 5th of July, you are still shooting off fireworks after 10 o'clock, you're just an asshole. I'm sorry. I have to say it. I've got a neighbor down the street that next time I see I'm going to get mad at. And I'm not usually that guy, even though uh, Richard Cross on the radio show thinks I'm that guy. I'm not confrontational with people I don't need to be confrontational with. My neighbor up the street that was shooting off fireworks at 1030 last night on the 5th, I'm going to go give him an earful next time I see him. And we know each other, and we wave to each other and stuff, and he knows that I've got a young child. Another one of our neighbors has two young children. It was also not the 4th of July anymore. I'm going to go fight him at some point, or I'll just uh, tell him he's a jerk. However, I hope otherwise uh, you all had a good weekend, good, happy, and safe 4th of July weekend. And let's get started. But first, I do want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you every day by LB's. Hope you went to LB's, went by and saw Greg before your big weekend behind the grill during the 4th. But don't worry, uh, he's still there if you want to make up for any lost time you had uh, this past weekend. I I didn't grill myself. I was going to. Uh, I made a a swordfish on Friday night, which was excellent. But uh, I've got to make up for it myself. So go by C. Greg just off of University Avenue across from Kroger. Grilling season is here. And don't forget to stop by also uh, and get one of his lunch specials uh, every weekday. So let's get started. I, uh, I forgot to introduce myself, by the way, if you're a first-time listener. My name is Michael Borky. You can follow me on Twitter or Facebook at Michael Borky. Uh, on the radio every day with Sports Talk Mississippi from 3 to 6. Also doing this podcast and a Sunday show as well from 8 to 10 on uh, the Super Talk Network. So, if you're a first-time listener, glad you're here. And today we're talking preview magazines, one in particular. I'm going to do this with all of them. I don't know about you, but I, I am one of those people that buys them all. And I read them all. I know, like, magazines are a thing of the past now and everything's up on your iPad, but, like, I get the email from Phil Steele, for example, and I still get the hard copy, even though he could upload one to your uh, iPad or or whatever. Uh, I'm a hard copy guy. I love these preview magazines. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy each one. So today I've got Lindy's. It's the first one that I saw at Kroger yesterday. Um, the only college football preview magazine that I saw there. Phil Steele is not out yet, but it is coming out later this month. Um, and, and there's a handful of others that find their way to my desk or, or that I'll see And each time I'm going to look at what they say specifically about Ole Miss for the purposes of this podcast and tell you what they got right and tell you what they got wrong. So basically analyzing the analysis, if you will. It's an exercise that I've done every year. And uh, if you're hearing this for the first time, hope you like it. It's something that I enjoy doing because it is just a season preview. 
and there people have their favorite one. Like my favorite one is Phil Steele. I think he's the most thorough when it comes to previewing college football. But even he gets things wrong. Of course he does. And so I would encourage you, because I hear this all the time. I was talking to a buddy a couple days ago that's, oh, I don't read that stuff. I don't read the preview magazines because they always undersell Ole Miss or something like that. And prognosticating a sport as wild and inconsistent as college football is really tough to do. Um, And some of these have really good information in them. And you can learn about, at least on the surface, about other teams. I, I wouldn't let especially what I'm about to say, stop you from from reading these. There's actually a lot of good stuff in here, and people work hard on them. But this one in particular got a lot of stuff right about Ole Miss, and then also some things wrong. So Lindy's. We'll start with Lindy's. And first, their um, predicted order of finish. We'll start there, Do look at their all-SEC team, uh, look at the, the games that they call, quote, the big ones, and then actually go into their preview specifically about Ole Miss. So their predicted order of finish for whatever it's worth to you. We're going to focus on Ole Miss today. In the East is Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, Missouri, and Vanderbilt in that order. Here's the West. Alabama, one. LSU, two. Auburn, three. A&M, four. Mississippi State, five. Ole Miss, six. And Arkansas is seven. They said the good news for Ole Miss at their pick number six is Lane Kiffin is a great offensive mind and has two good quarterbacks on roster. They say the bad news. Defense has been porous the last two years and will struggle again this year. And finally, they say our call, Rebels rebuild might not show much this season, but will be fascinating to watch. That characterization of of the defense last year I don't think is actually fair based on the production that you actually saw. Was it a good defense? I'm not going to try to fool you into thinking that Ole Miss was good defensively last year, relatively speaking. However, they were significantly better than they were two seasons ago. Mike McIntyre deserves a ton of credit for the job he did with that defense last year. And like we said at the time, I am genuinely surprised that Lane Kiffin did not keep him on staff. I mean, I know maybe he wanted to get his own guy, but I definitely especially considering Mike McIntyre is far less controversial and you don't have to overcome things in recruiting. And maybe they found that they're able to do that and it's a non-issue. But when you talk about defensive minds, I was surprised that that was the one, or that wasn't the one guy from Matt Luke's staff that you held on to. That was a really good hire by Matt Luke. And he did an excellent job with that defense a year ago. And he doesn't have that kind of baggage. But when you hire a guy like Lane Kiffin, you have to just trust in him with all of his experience to make the right call. And so he didn't um, maintain Mike McIntyre. But that defense was not, a, I wouldn't call it porous a year ago. So they lost eight games. And if you look at all eight games, how many of them were the defense's fault? Not Memphis. They scored 10 points of offense that day. Defense gave up, I think, what was it, 10 points? I don't remember. 15 on the scoreboard, but I know Memphis got points in other ways. They lost to Cal on a game that was not the defense's fault. Alabama, they got smoked, but it's Alabama. Gave up 38 points at Missouri, but defense played well enough that night to keep a minute, at least in spurts. Definitely played well enough to beat Texas A&M. They just couldn't do anything offensively. And not all of the points that they gave up against A&M were on the defense. 
Definitely played well enough at Auburn to win. Offense only scored 14 points that, that night in a loss by six. LSU, completely different animal. And that brings back to a point that I, I mentioned a, a few days ago about the quarterbacks. Is A lot of people only watched them play LSU. So when you watch that game, you think, oh, they're terrible defensively and not, oh, they had a quarterback with a generational-type season and NFL players all over the field. And then finally, at Mississippi State, the defense obviously, again, played well enough to win. So in their eight losses, two of them, in my opinion, two of them, there's nothing that you could have done on offense to overcome the points that you gave up on defense. Otherwise, they were kept in it because of their defense and couldn't win because they couldn't put points on the board. So to call them porous last year on defense, I think is an overcharacterization of what actually happened on the field. They played well enough in multiple SEC West games to win more than they did, to be a 7-8 win team. They played well enough on defense last year to be a 7-8 or eight win team. Were they great? Of course not. Were they porous? Also, also no. I'm probably overselling their performance against Missouri and and even against Cal. Probably doing that. But um, Texas A&M, Auburn, Mississippi State, Memphis are four games that defensively they played, absolutely played well enough to win if they had competency on offense in any of those games, they win the football game. No doubt in my mind. And they just couldn't get it done. So again, porous, absolutely not. And when it comes to getting picked sixth in the West, I mean, I think offensively they've got good enough talent to uh, to finish much better than that. Uh, they mentioned both quarterbacks. I think no matter who wins that job, you've got a, a duo of running backs that I would put up against almost anybody in the SEC, and more on that in a little bit, and a, a wide receiver group that doesn't get enough credit uh, just simply because they were used so terribly a year ago, but they recruited well, so the incoming wide receiver recruits are really good, and left behind uh, with Elijah Moore and company, I think is an undervalued group of wide receivers. So offensively, and a good offensive line, Nick Broker, Ben Brown and company return a lot of experience. They weren't great a year ago across the board, but uh, I think they've got a couple of NFL guys that I just mentioned uh, on that offensive line. They should be able to score well enough to beat some people. But can they overcome the losses, especially on the defensive line, to be... All they need to do is be as good as they were defensively last year, and they'll finish better than sixth in the West, in my opinion. Now, the coronavirus and this weird offseason has really slowed down my expectations for this team this season, has really kind of dialed those back because they haven't had a spring or a regular offseason to implement... Uh, their system and the strength and conditioning system into this program. So I think year one is kind of a wash now. I would call it year zero, considering what's happened this offseason. But if they somehow find a way to play football, I think offensively they're good enough to finish better than sixth, but they got to go prove it. I'm fine with the pick where it is. They've got to go prove it. I think they can be better than this. I expect them to be better than that, but they've got to prove it to people. Uh, Otherwise, this is where... They are appropriately going to be selected. Turning the page over to Lindy's All-SEC team, if you look at the first uh, the first team offense and defense, you don't see a name from Ole Miss on either one, which is understandable, which is fine. Running backs, you have Najee Harris and Kylan Hill, perfectly fine with that. Kyle Trask is absolutely who I would have picked 
at first-team All-SEC quarterback. People really don't give him enough credit for how good he was a year ago, even in his two losses against LSU and Georgia. Played well enough to win both of those games. I think Kyle Trask is an undervalued quarterback, deserved that first-team selection, but let's just focus on Ole Miss. Um, Again, nothing on offense or defense. Second team, nothing on defense. On offense, yeah, Jamie Newman, the quarterback, Rakeem Boyd, and Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M at running back. Jerry and Ely make second team as as an all-purpose, which I don't understand, and they don't explain the difference between all-purpose and running back. So this is probably splitting hairs, but if you're talking about Jerry and Ely, I mean, he's a true running back, right? I mean, that's how I would classify him as a running back. Now, with the way offenses have evolved, you need your running backs to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield, and he's capable of doing that. But what's the difference between running back and all-purpose? Because I think Jerry and Ely, even though he's only done it for a year and he's a true sophomore, from a talent perspective, he would be my number three running back entering this season in the SEC. Rakeem Boyd has, has done it for longer. Jerry and Ely's more talented. Jerry and Ely's more talented than Isaiah Spiller. More talented than Larry Roundtree. More talented than Zamir White. So I don't understand the difference between all-purpose and, and regular running back. But I think Jerry and Ely's a, a true running back. Uh, that's how he'll be used, and, and that's what he is. So I don't understand that distinction, but... Hey, second team, all SEC is an appropriate spot for him. Uh, for whatever it's worth, the all-purpose uh, on first team is Jalen Waddell. Um, so whatever that means to you, I think Jerry Neely's a true running back, though. And um, Ole Miss hasn't had a, a guy as talented as him at that position since Deuce McAllister. And he showed that as a true freshman, as technically a backup. Again, nobody on the second team. Defense, uh, third team, uh, looking at uh, the offense, there's nobody from Ole Miss. So that means that uh, Nick Broker and Ben Brown were both uh, left off of any of Lindy's uh, all-SEC teams, which I think uh, is a pretty significant oversight. I think both of those guys are headed for the NFL, especially uh, Nick Broker, but I think they're both headed in that direction. And um, just a complete oversight on their part. Uh, no doubt about it. They have Sam Williams on uh, the third team defense. And I don't know if you guys have seen the picture of uh, Sam Williams. They had picture day recently. And he has probably gained 25 pounds. A- at least gained 25 pounds. And it looks like a good, healthy 25 pounds. I think Sam Williams... And I'm okay with where he's... Because they can't figure out... he's. Got, I think he's going to be a rush end. That's what most people expect him to. They list him as a linebacker here, though, uh, alongside Errol Thompson and Jabril Cox. And he does different things than Errol Thompson. Uh, for whatever it's worth, he's behind Dimitri Moore at Vanderbilt, who's on the second team. Monty Rice, uh, who's on the second team from Georgia. Henry 2020 uh, from Tennessee. And then the first team, Dylan Moses, Nick Bolton, and K.J. Britt. So if you're going to classify him as a linebacker, I'm okay with his selection on the third team, but uh, that guy's a defensive end. Uh, That's where his future is in the NFL. I mean, that's what his body type is, especially now. And because he was on a bad team in the, like I said before, not a great defense last year, um, he's going to be undervalued going into this season. But Sam Williams is, 
if he builds on what he was able to do a year ago as a guy that is potentially, he's got the athleticism of an early round draft pick. Maybe not first round, I'm not going that far, but he's a guy that can play in the NFL. He's got the ability and now the size to be able to do it. So um, getting the recognition on a preseason third team is is fine because he's only done it once. Uh, But I think by the end of the year, you might see a very, very different position for a guy like him. I think he's got all the potential and ability in the world uh, to be much better than a third-team All-SEC selection. But like I said, he's got to go out and prove it because he's only done it one time. It was a really good, really, really good one time, though. Here is their big ones as we transition. Um, Good choices here, actually. Uh, Opening weekend and coronavirus might throw this game for a loop because of what uh, Southern Cal is going to do with their academics, uh, potentially no in-person learning whatsoever. So if you're going to do that, how are you going to have a football team that plays? That's something they're going to have to deal with. September 5th, they have Alabama and Southern Cal, and then Ole Miss Baylor. So those are their two big ones in the SEC the opening weekend. Not a great opening weekend schedule, but Ole Miss and Baylor being on its own day in its own time slot is a really good-looking matchup. I mean, you've got Dave Aranda being the head coach somewhere else. I mean, he's not at LSU anymore as a journeyman defensive coordinator. What's his new program going to look like? Lost everybody, basically, on that side of the ball a year ago. And then you have the Lane Kiffin factor, which is really driving the attractiveness nationally of this game. Dave Aranda's not getting free spots on uh, Dan Patrick and Dan Lebetard and all these... Uh, programs whenever he wants to. Dave Aranda is not an attractive name. Dave Aranda is not why this game got moved to Sunday. It's Lane Kiffin. Um, And that game could jumpstart their season. I I mean, a a win against Baylor could be the difference between a bowl team or not. And and if they're able to to beat Baylor, I think that tells you a lot about the readiness of, of his team to not win at a high level or anything, but win games and be competitive right away. And we'll get that gauge. Even though it's a new program, Matt Rule left behind a a really good roster, even though, like I said, they lost a bunch on defense. But still, the depth is there. Uh, The program has recovered from the Art Bryles era, uh, to say the least. And uh, Dave Aranda takes over a program that's in pretty good shape, pretty stable shape. So if they can win that game right away, then uh, not a whole lot to to overcome for Ole Miss as far as making a bowl game in year one and, and being competitive. I don't think they're beating Alabama, for example. I don't know if they're going to be ready for that for a while. But if they can beat Baylor in week one, if we have it, uh, they might. it might send a message of they're ready to make a bowl game and compete, at least compete, right away. Uh, September 7th, uh, Georgia and Virginia actually play each other. So that is Monday, uh, Georgia and Virginia in Atlanta, for what it's worth. Uh, you don't see Ole Miss again until October 3rd. So before that, on September 12th, you have Auburn and North Carolina and Atlanta, Texas, LSU, and Tennessee, Oklahoma in week two. What a weekend. Also, Ohio State goes to Oregon. So that's a really good weekend in college football. Um, week three, they've got Colorado at AM. That game isn't exciting to me. And Georgia and Alabama, which will be the, the bell cow of that weekend. Weekend after Florida at Tennessee is their big one. Weekend after that, so this is week one, two, three, four, five, Alabama at Ole Miss. And the reason for it, quite simply, Nick Saban goes against his former 
offensive coordinator. That game is going to be considered big for that reason and that reason only. Ole Miss, from a roster perspective, is still not prepared to compete with Alabama, in my opinion. You don't see Ole Miss again until the Egg Bowl. So before that, the weekend after Alabama, Ole Miss, they see Auburn, Georgia, and LSU, Florida uh, are the big ones that weekend. Uh, week 7, AM and and Auburn. Week 8, Alabama at Tennessee. Week 9, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, although it's offensive and we can't call it that anymore. November 7th, uh, the weekend after Alabama, LSU. Weekend after Tennessee, Georgia. I don't know why I'm running through these. These are the big ones, though, according to Lindy's. Weekend after that, before the Egg Bowl, A&M at Alabama, LSU at Auburn, Georgia at Kentucky, and then the Egg Bowl. They said, quote, Egg Bowl was an ugly brawl last year, and both coaches got fired. So, that game will be interesting for a different reason this time, though. Not because they want to see people fight or lift their leg to pee like a dog. It's because both programs have coaches that people actually want to watch and see what their programs are up to instead of just to see the dumpster fire that the game has been the last couple of years. Um, That game, if you go back and watch the Egg Bowl, and I don't know if I'd encourage you to do that, considering how painful it was, terribly played football game. It was awful. Uh, The quality of play was like good high school level. Just not a good football game at all, and um, people only enjoyed it because of how it ended, uh, not because of what led up to how it ended. Not a good game. This year's a completely different story. There's storylines, not just, ooh, I hope they fight, or oh, look at how toxic they are. And No, it's different. It's, I want to see Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin go at it. It's a nice, refreshing change of pace. Over to the rating the SEC. So they ranked the position groups, quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, O-line, D-line, linebacker, secondary, and special teams 1 through 14. Start on defense because Ole Miss just has to prove it on that side of the ball. Um, Ole Miss was 12th in the SEC on the defensive line. Uh, they were 12th or 11th in linebackers. Excuse me. They could be a little bit better than that. I think Jock Jones is a chance to uh, be a pretty good linebacker. Uh, you know what Sonogo is capable of, even though he missed uh, significant action. Uh, I think those two guys are part of a group that could potentially be better than this ranking, but I certainly understand why they're ranked there. Uh, 13th in the secondary and 11th in special teams. They needed a new field goal kicker, uh, that's for sure. Here's the other side of the ball, and this is where I get kind of confused with these rankings. Uh, we'll start with quarterbacks. Georgia, uh, they're number one. Uh, I really believe in Jamie Newman, and I they have that former five-star transfer from Southern Cal on roster. So, Georgia's got a pretty good quarterback room. Florida at two, uh, fine with that. Texas A&M, three. think that's severely overrated. Uh, Mississippi State at four. K.J. Costello has done it elsewhere, but we'll have to see if he can do it at Mississippi State. Auburn at five. Uh, I would put Auburn at six behind Alabama, who's at six, I think. Uh, Even though Bo Nix got better as the year went on, I think the smaller sample size from Mac Jones... Uh, showed me that I think he's better prepared to win right now. And so I would put him at six. LSU at seven. I I don't understand this at all. You get this. It's not just Lindy's. 
It's everywhere. People are just assuming that Miles Brennan, who has never really played a significant snap before, is just going to step right in and replicate Joe Burrow's success. I have heard that from so many people that, oh, Brennan's just this this great quarterback and LSU's not going to miss a beat. And Where are you getting that from? LSU does not have a quarterback or a running back, more on that in a second, on their roster that has played any real significant time. And you're telling me that they're ranked ahead of even Felipe Franks at Arkansas? Um, Come on. Come on. You can't, on one hand, just hype up like crazy. John Rice Plumlee and his talent and his playmaking ability and all that stuff, and then put him behind a guy that's never played before. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, LSU needs to be much lower because we don't know anything about their quarterbacks. We haven't seen them. And until we do, putting them ahead of guys that we've seen, even if they haven't been great, but guys that we've seen before, like Felipe Franks, for example, I think is ridiculous. South Carolina at 13 behind LSU was ridiculous. Holinsky showed you more than you've ever seen from LSU's quarterbacks. It's just, and Terry Wilson at Kentucky, that doesn't make any sense. LSU is being given the benefit of the doubt And, I mean, I guess I get it. They just won a national title. But the guys that won them the national title are not in that quarterback room or running back room anymore. Forgive the rant. Running backs. Alabama at one, perfectly fine. Mississippi State at two. Kylan Hill, SEC's leading rusher a year ago, perfectly fine. Georgia at three, okay. And at four, you're kind of losing me. LSU at five. Do they not know Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is gone? They have Ole Miss at 13, by the way, in running backs. 13. Jerry and Ely and Snoop Connor are not the 13th best running back room in the SEC. They have them ranked behind South Carolina, who lost to their running backs from a year ago. They have them behind Kentucky, Missouri, Florida, Tennessee, Arkansas, Auburn, and LSU. I don't get it. That is an oversight at best. But I promise you, Ole Miss does not have the 13th best running back room in the SEC. I I promise you that. That is just moving on. Because I don't have an explanation for you. I don't have an answer for you. I have no idea where that comes from. Receivers, LSU 1, perfect. Alabama 2, fine. Georgia 3, fine. Let's scroll down the list a little bit. Mississippi State at 8. Ole Miss at 9. I really like K.J. Costello. I really like Kylan Hill. I think he has been so supremely underutilized at Mississippi State, and he led the league in rushing yards last year. Still don't think they used him enough. He is an exceptional running back. Mississippi State's wide receiver group is abysmal. And yeah, they got a transfer from Alabama who has one more reception than I do in the last two seasons. That doesn't change that dynamic of that room, at least not yet. Ole Miss, by the way, is at nine. Mississippi State's team's biggest weakness is its wide receiver group. It is not, it's an awful one. It is not a good one. And again, a transfer with one reception in the last two seasons is not at all, elevating the dynamic of that room. Ranking that 
group ahead of Ole Miss is, is just another oversight. Just complete oversight. Offensive line, they have Ole Miss at 12. I think the group has potential to be better than that, but they do they do have to prove it. I think they have a couple of NFL guys on, on that offensive line, but uh, they've got to prove it. And, and until they do, they're going to get rankings like this. So, um, fine with the defensive rankings. Quarterback makes sense aside from LSU being where they are. Running back doesn't make any sense at all. Wide receiver, you would at least have to flip Mississippi State at Ole Miss. Ole Miss's wide receiver room is more talented and more experienced than that of Mississippi State's wide receiver room. It is their team's biggest weakness. Uh, And they don't have the depth of talent that Ole Miss does. Transfer aside. Add him in there. I mean, he was a high-level prospect, but that's all you've gotten. So, doesn't make any sense at all there. And finally, flipping over to their team-specific page, their Ole Miss-specific uh, pages in here. Um, we'll start with returning starters because they, they say there's only 13, 6 on offense and 5 on defense, but that's not entirely accurate, but we'll get to that in a second. They say their primary strengths, the top two running backs last year were freshmen who are poised to have success as sophomores. Plumlee could regain his spot as a starting quarterback. If he doesn't, he's a skilled athlete who, Im- who will impact elsewhere. Two of the top three linebackers return. The group adds Sonogo, who led the team in tackles as a sophomore, missed last year due to injury. And I agree with that assessment. Running backs are two very young but extremely talented running backs. Definitely not the 13th best running back room in the SEC. And I do think if Plumlee does not win that job, they will find a way to get him touches elsewhere, a la Taysom Hill. I don't think he's going to be lining up at tight end, because Hill's much bigger than Plumlee, but I think they will find creative ways to get him the ball in that way if he does not win the job. So, agree there. On potential problems, they say the Rebels need quality O-line depth to push returning starters and to work into the playing rotation. Multiple candidates need to take a step forward. That's fair. Young wide receivers didn't flourish in a run-heavy system last year. Also fair. They weren't allowed to flourish in that god-awful system last year. And finally, the Rebels must find playmakers on the defensive line, the interior of the defensive line, to back up last year's gains in run defense. That's all fair. They say key losses, Scotty Phillips, Octavius Cooley, Jason Peller, and I wouldn't call that a key loss. I'm sure he's a good dude, but wasn't really uh, that impactful on that team. Uh, They did lose Alex Givens, uh, Benito Jones and Josiah Coatney, and Austrian Robinson on the defensive line. That's their biggest issue for sure, as we've talked about on here already. And then Jalen Julius. And finally, their overview. They say Ole Miss hasn't made much ground in its effort to rebound from a years-long NCAA investigation and the subsequent sanctions that followed. Fans are desperate to see something more than mediocre football and are hoping that Kiffin can deliver that in year one. He has the tools on offense to compete if he settles quickly on a starting quarterback. And if there's moderate growth on the offensive line, there are more question marks on defense. That's all very fair. And um, Ole Miss never recovered from the NCAA thing. Although Matt Luke does deserve credit because they could have cratered and they didn't crater. However, they never fully recovered because they made the incorrect hire at head coach, and that's why. Uh, They could have been much further along um, if they'd have made a different hire. But they didn't, and now you have Lane Kiffin. So, I mean, that's a pretty good consolation prize, I imagine. 
Key number, they say 74. That's how many spots the Rebels improved nationally in rushing defense last year. But earlier in the magazine, they said that Ole Miss was porous on defense. Yeah, anyway. All right, the the returning starters thing. This is where I think they got it wrong. For example, they have uh, Plumlee listed at quarterback, which is fine. Uh, Jerry and Ely, they have uh, listed not as a returning starter. I know it's splitting hairs, but I would consider him, even though Scotty Phillips was the guy, I would consider him uh, a returning starter. Also, Braylon Sanders, they don't have listed as a returning starter. That's inaccurate. Same thing with Nick Broker. They don't have him listed as a returning starter. Um, He started, he was a significant piece and uh, did split time on the offensive line, but I'm splitting hairs, but when you look at that offense, I would count Ely and Sanders and Broker as guys that return who have enough experience to be considered a starter. I understand why they were left off here in that category. I really do, but those guys count for me. So when you look at Ole Miss offensively, there's only, they said, six returning starters on offense. I think it's more like nine, uh, nine or ten. Defense, uh, similar thing. And again, I know it's splitting hairs, but they have Momo Sonogo, for example, not listed as a returning starter. And I would also consider Ryder Anderson somebody that you could count as a returning starter on defense. Everything else they got right. And again, I'm telling you, I'm splitting hairs. I understand why they're not listed there, but Momo Sonogo is a returning starter on defense. That's what he is. As and I would consider Ryder Anderson at least a guy that's experienced enough to not look like that. But uh, that is probably me just simply uh, overthinking uh, those kind of things. And just to underscore a point from earlier, they have the uh, the total offense, uh, total offense, and total defensive rankings from seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen. Here's what I was talking about earlier: in 2018, defensively, they were 113th in scoring defense. 116th in rushing defense, 111th in passing defense, 121st in total defense. In 2019, they were 59th in scoring, 42nd in rushing, 120th in passing. Not a good secondary last year. And 85th in total defense. So a marked improvement, uh, and that's all they really needed to to be competitive. I mean, if if you're 59th in scoring defense, I I wouldn't call that porous, but I'm uh, really hammering home a point that I've made a few times now, so forgive me for that. And finally, last thing for you. Uh, I'll leave you with this. Uh, opposing coach's view. This is, again, I pointed out some some things that I, I didn't think were right. But, I mean, this is like five pages of really in-depth stuff on, on Ole Miss. So it's a really good preview. I, I'm glad I bought the magazine. I'm going to read it um, cover to cover, basically. It's what I do with all of them. And I got their NFL one as, uh, as well. So uh, last thing I'll leave you with is, is opposing coach's view. And one of them said, quote, this is done anonymously, of course. Lane Kiffin is a really, really good football coach and has the ability to create things in terms of taking what he has and doing what they do best, creating mismatches and problems for a defense. The big key is, can he improve the defense? If they can, make as much improvement as they did from 18 to 19, basically. I'm summarizing that point. I don't think Ole Miss is that far off from being a consistent bowl team. Other coach said this, Lane will figure out something with that running quarterback. Lane did a really good job with Jalen Hurts. Lane has got to do a good job of recruiting. They don't have that many guys that could have played at Alabama. Wow, really profound there. Um, 
spoiler alert, there's like five programs in the country that have many guys that could play for Alabama. They continued, it's a hard job talent-wise. He's just got a few guys that can play at this level. But Lane will beat you with his coaching. <laughs> That's an interesting quote there. And it's not wrong, especially on defense. But um, like I've said on this podcast, I think it was a couple weeks ago, it was like the second or third one I did here solo, um, Ole Miss has recruited better and acquired better talent than people actually give it credit for. Um I mean, starting with Ed Orgeron, really, they've been able to consistently recruit top 30, top 25 classes. Now, that doesn't win you an SEC West championship, but uh, let's not pretend like talent acquisition is some crazy difficult thing to do at Ole Miss. They've done it before. Even coaches that didn't really give a damn about recruiting have successfully done it before. Uh, It's just a matter of having competent leadership in the program and in the athletic department, and I think they have both of that. Now, looking forward to doing more of these. I've uh, I really enjoyed this today, actually, and I'm uh, looking forward to continuing to to read Lindy's uh, cover to cover. Like I said, uh, looking forward to getting Phil Steele and and any one that I see, I'm going to grab and and do more of these. It's nice to see sometimes what people think of the programs you cover nationally. I think it's a fun case study because people just see different things. I mean, I think I told you on Wednesday of last week. Um, the difference between what people think about the quarterback situation at Ole Miss versus what people around here think about the quarterback situation at Ole Miss. It's just so very different. And um, anyway, so I enjoy doing this. I hope you liked this. Uh, Go scoop that magazine if you want to read more. And uh, I'll be back with another podcast on Wednesday. I'm not taking any time off until the towards the end of August, and I will bring podcasting equipment with me. So No more off days until after the football season ends. I promise you that. So thank you so much for tuning in. Of course, go buy LBs. Uh, Tell Greg we sent you. Stop by LBs and tell him we sent you. And until Wednesday, you guys have a great week. And I'll talk to you then. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.